I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers. Thank you for joining us in the Awaken My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today, we have Lena Joseph Ford. She's the founder and CEO of High Level Speech and Hearing Center. Dr. Lena Joseph Ford is an entrepreneur in the healthcare industry. She has served as an advocate for musicians' health throughout New Orleans. And among her most notable clients are world-renowned music artists like Drake and musical group Tank. And as a young girl, Dr. Lena Joseph Ford suffered from hearing difficulties and was bullied because of her speech impediment. And now she uses her resilience to help others by offering early intervention strategies. As a philanthropist, she's played a significant role in supporting youth in underserved communities. And as an advocate for economic development, she founded Joseph Ford Enterprises, a global economic development firm that invests in real estate, small businesses, health, and technology. She has also been featured in publications like Forbes, Gambit, 40, Under 40, and much more. So please welcome to the show, Dr. Lena Joseph Ford. Hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Thank you for having me. I am super excited to be speaking to the audience today and to just have this awesome conversation with you. Uplifting, supportive. I'm here for all of it. <laughs> Amen. I love it. I love it. I'm really excited to jump deeper into your story and to learn more about you, even when I was doing my research. So your article that you were featured in for Forbes, that was written by my girlfriend, Pollyanna Reed. And I was like, yes, okay. So we've, we've got, you know, some, some spice up here in the circle. So I wanted to jump straight into your story. But before I do that, I love to start the show with an icebreaker question, because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by. And a title that I feel that is not given enough significance is our name, because our names have meaning. So I was curious, Lena, do you know what your name means? You know, that's interesting that you asked that. I I used to, I think it means beautiful. I believe that's what Lena means. My dad actually named me. And I remember him 
um, actually telling me that a long, you know, long time ago, we'll get into a little bit more about my, my background, but I remember uh, when we were kind of close, he, he had explained a little bit about that before, and I think that's what my name means. When I Googled it, and you know that most names have, you know, different meanings and different cultures and different backgrounds, so exactly. when I Googled it, I found a few beautiful different meanings for it. Um, the old German meaning is precious. The Greek meaning is sun ray. The Hawaiian meaning is calm as still waters. So I believe all of those are beautiful meanings. Absolutely. And I believe they all describe me. How about that? <laughs> I love it. I lo- you see? So every time someone says your name, they're declaring that meaning to you, girl. Absolutely. I'll take it. I'm for, I'm here for it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I want you to jump straight in and share with us how you got to where you are today. Tell us your story. Oh man, do you have do you have uh, 34 years? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I'll, I'll try my best to make a long, extremely long story as short as possible, right? I, I started off, I, I came a kid that came from um, underserved background from a single parent home. Um, unfortunately, when I was younger growing up, my father was on drugs. So he and my mom, I remember them being in this like happy marriage. And then suddenly, all of a sudden, my dad became abusive and was gone. Mm. And that's what that's what I remember from that. I was so young, but um, I also remember like just my mom completely changing gears after that, where we ended up in a rural part of Louisiana. That's where I'm from. I'm from Marrero, Louisiana, which is about 10 minutes outside of New Orleans. And we were in a rural part there called Bell Rose, Louisiana, where, I mean, in, we were literally in a small ranch house surrounded by bayous and sugarcane fields. Mm. And my grandparents raised my sister and I. She was a baby at the time. She didn't even really get to really uh, spend very much time with my dad. That's why I kind of, when you asked me about my name, I, I just remember some small moments of being with him and he he's saying things like that. Um, but my sister didn't even get to really get to know who he is or who he was. Um, he's still here, but you know, um, she didn't get to really form a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that time being in that rural part of Louisiana um, with my grandparents for, I think we were there for four years while my mom got everything together before coming back and bringing us back to New Orleans. Um, it really shaped, it really shaped my life. Uh, it was when that was where my sister and I, we learned how to we learned what simplicity was. We learned what humility was. We learned how to take care of ourselves. And I really believe those small, humble beginnings are what shaped us into who we are today. And, and for sure me, like, I mean, learning how to just be able to take two pennies, rub them together <laughs> and make them make a hundred dollars out of it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we learn those small things or growing what was considered to be your necessities, growing your food, um, cooking, cleaning, uh, carpentry, things like that. Being able to stand up for yourself, which is a huge part of 
why I do what I do, and I know we'll get into that shortly. So becoming an advocate for yourself. So those were things that, simple things that we learn, building blocks of life that we really learn from, from the, that interest and time period. And fast forward to today, um, you know, I mean, I know we're going to get into all of that, but just being able to be successful, I really do look back on those humble beginnings. Share with mm-hmm. us, you know, because you were bullied growing up, you had a speech impediment. Now you're a huge yeah. advocate in your industry. Like you were able to turn your greatest insecurity into your greatest motivation. Like share with us how that process happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when when I was younger, growing up, I, like I explained to you guys, I was in the country, rural part of Louisiana. Um, I remember getting, like I, I always tell people, I remember that I was called strawberry. And the reason why some of my, my peers and my cousins called me strawberry was because I couldn't pronounce the word. Mm. I remember being bullied. I remember being made fun of. Like, you know, um, people do that. We called it ribbon. I don't know what people call it now, but <laughs> just kind of making jokes between each other. Like, um, I remember being that victim, that kid that was in the middle of that for mm. so long. And I would always get bullied or teased because of my speech impediment. And um, for years, I, I suffered with uh, low self-esteem. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, back then as a child, you don't really realize that that's an actual thing. Mm-hmm. You you just assume that, okay, that's just how it is. It's not that, oh, it's wrong. Um, oh, that it's, um, it's something that can really, or it's not true. That's mm-hmm. the other part of it, right? It's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not true. It's something that can really affect me later on in life and will always be with me you don't realize those things and you don't, you don't put a name to low self-esteem or lack of confidence. Um, you know, you, you, you just don't know those things when you're a child. So um, I remember suffering with that for eight really long years and it really, it really influenced the, the way that I was in school, my, my friendships, my ability to make relation, build relationships, my ability to speak up for myself when I was being bullied and teased. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, um, I made really good grades in school. So because I made good grades in school, I wasn't really considered a problem. Because, so people will ask me all the time, well, why didn't your mom just enroll you into a speech therapy program? First of all, I went to public school. And, you know, second of all, um, we had Medicaid, and most providers do not accept Medicaid as a type of insurance, a government, a government insurance in the United States. And most providers don't accept it because of low reimbursement rates. Mm-hmm. Um, so I pretty much, either I was going to receive services at school or at some type of hospital or doctor's office, but unfortunately, the school system was limited on the number of people that provided or speech therapists that worked in the school system to provide the service. And and like I mentioned before, you know, I mean, with the with Medicaid, the low reimbursement rates, doctor's offices weren't really taking it. So it took about eight years before I finally um, got on the radar to the, the parish's radar after my mom really had to fight. And I think I'm so grateful for her because she did fight <laughs> or else mm-hmm, it would have mm-hmm. ended up being even longer, lasting even longer. And she finally got me enrolled in speech therapy. 
Now, the craziest thing about it, and, and this is what really drove me to start High Level Speech and Hearing Center and really become an advocate for families and children and adults as well who suffer with speech and hearing issues, the crazy thing was it only took three months of speech therapy wow. for me to be completely healed of my issue. Wow. Now, eight, eight years of being bullied, teased, low self-esteem. Um, it, when you work with pediatrics, you learn that there are certain years uh, it, that are very crucial to children and their development and their growth. Um, we always say that birth to three is the most important because that's when we're getting all the information we need to communicate. And then as those kids get school age, what's happening is they're developing who they will become. They're developing their, like, personalities, and, and I like this, and I like that, or I don't like this, and I don't mm -hmm. like that. You know, they're developing themselves. So when you are in a position where you're being told by people who – you see as friends and family that you're not you're not acceptable, that you're different mm -hmm. and being you know, in the form of being bullied and harassed and teased, it really does take a toll on you during those years. But Absolutely. for eight years, eight years of all of that, you know, and if I would have had an opportunity for early intervention, who knows? what that would have looked like, you know. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the truth is that there are so many children. I was one. There are so many more that suffer with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I started High Level Speech and Hearing Center, I started it with the focus of I want to become an advocate for children. I want to become an advocate for families. And I want to offer early intervention services so these kids don't have to endure this. They can grow up being their true self, whether it's that they have a hearing loss and we have to do something about a hearing loss and fix that, or if they have a speech impediment and we have to do something about the speech impediment and fix that. But at the end of the day, the, there are therapeutic treatments for all of these different issues that can be addressed, that can, where a child's lifestyle can be adjusted and they can really develop into who they are without that disability of influencing them. Wow. Like even when you were speaking about the fact that you were dealing with this for eight years and then it only took three months, you know, for the, the speech therapy, I think about, there's a lot of things that kids experience, um, especially today that have gone on for years or that they don't know that they can get the help or support for, or even their parents may not even have the time to get the help and support and realizing that it's just three months is not a long time. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. to, to have such a, a drastic change. And it, it reminds me of when I was, when I was 12, I started losing my hearing in one ear. And at first I was oh, afraid wow. to tell my mom. And when I finally told her, we start, you know, we went to the doctor's appointments and I had to see a specialist and I had almost completely lost hearing in one ear and they were afraid that I was going to lose hearing in the other ear. And I started learning sign language when I was 12. And then all of a sudden my, my hearing came back, but I don't know if it was, you know, the treatments that we were doing, the things that we were doing, but if I hadn't spoken up, I probably wouldn't have my hearing now. Like there's so many things that kids deal with that we don't realize how 
important it is to address those things. And like you said, the early intervention so that these things, um, you know, don't affect them as much later on in life. But I love how you've become an advocate to make sure that you come in early to catch those things and to provide solutions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing your story too. I, I, um, as I was like telling you about this, um, actually a, a baby came to mind. I recently had a six month old that we diagnosed with single sided deafness. So hearing loss in one ear. And uh, I remember the mom just being very, very distraught about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and rightfully so, rightfully so. But like like you said, there are stories where either there's all of a sudden after a series of um, a series of treatments or medication, antibiotics, that the hearing does come back, mm-hmm. or being able to treat their hearing loss with the hearing aid device, which helps the hearing to also come back in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, you know, to any parents that are listening, here are two stories of. Um, you know, like of just resilience and being able to overcome a disability. And it's a testament that there are treatments out there um, and there are doctors and people that are willing to share that information with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what inspires you the most about what you do? I believe I've always been the person and I don't, I don't want to sound trite when I say this, but I've, I've always been that person that literally got into this um, field for one reason, and that was just because I have a passion for helping people. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm a people person. When you meet me, it's like we've known each other forever. And it's mm-hmm. so funny <laughs> because my patients, whether it's celebrity clientele or my patients that are just local community, members of the community, when they come into my office to see me, they say, I feel like I'm at, at home or mm-hmm. I feel like I'm family. And that's that's exactly how I want people to feel. So my inspiration comes from being able to make an impact for someone else. I know I you'll hear it all the time from people. They'll say, you know, you can't get into this business for the money. It's so true. You can't. Mm-hmm. First of all, audiologists don't really make that much money. Um, if you look at the salaries of audiologists that are not business owners, I mean, you know, it, it's not as much money as typical doctor type of uh, fills make. However, you know, it, it what comes from it is the satisfaction of number one, nobody's going to die on me. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, nobody, <laughs> nobody's coming to me. My sister's an um, internal medicine doctor, so I, I unfortunately she can't say the same. But mm-hmm. I always tease her and I'll tell her, like, look, girl, if somebody passes out, that's you. But if they have a hearing problem, <laughs> send them to me. But if they pass out, that's on you. You take care of that. I don't, you know, I don't deal with anything like that. And and that's always nice because people literally walk into my office and leave fixed, leave mm. repaired, leave with a whole completely different sense of themselves. And, and there's no feeling that's more incredible than seeing their the smile on their face when they're able to say, wow, I can hear again. So I I think that's what inspires me to continue, continue this fight um, to advocate for the patients and also continue being there to support them with their speech and hearing needs. 
that sounds so gratifying and fulfilling. Like as, as you were saying that I, I, I got goosebumps on my arms and I was thinking about a conversation that I had with my 15 year old son last night where he asked me like, mom, would you rather be deaf in one ear or blind in one eye? And that's when I, again, this is how I remembered my story to share with you just now, because I, I explained to him the story of me losing my hearing when I was 12. And he was kind of like, what? <laughs> like, we, you've um, never told me yeah. this. I've never heard you say this in 15 years. Like, what? <laughs> wow. But it's like, yeah. we, we don't yeah. realize, I'm going to say, the blessings we have. We don't appreciate the things that we have in something where one person may be, you know, they wake up every day and they can hear to them. That's something they may take for granted, but there are people that have issues, whether it be to hear fully or to even see fully. Like I I feel like we don't value the simple things that we have. Mm -hmm. And I, and I say simple Mm -hmm. lightly because it's not simple. (laughs) Uh So, Uh you know, the, I feel like the pandemic has affected a lot of people's ability to serve. So, I would love to know what has your journey been like since the pandemic? Has it affected how you serve? It definitely has. We've, as as a business owner, I've literally had to readjust my entire company based off of the inability to be have face to face interactions with people, mm-hmm. and that for us, especially being in New Orleans, where Everything is about a hug, a kiss, um, hey, how you doing, how your mom and them. Like mm. we are, I mean, it's all about Southern hospitality here. And so we had to learn as a culture here in this city how to still exhibit that Southern hospitality, but how to do it in a way where it became a lifestyle adjustment, right? Now <laughs> things are done virtually. Um, now everything's Google, Zoom, and conference <laughs> line, and everything else, right? Yeah, yeah. So before we would say all the time, "Oh, you know, I'm I'm not going to. Uh, I don't like telemedicine. I don't like telehealth because that's not giving me that one-on-one in-person experience with that mm-hmm. patient. Now mm-hmm. we have no choice but to do that. Yeah. So it's the pandemic forced us to make that adjustment and adopt um, practices that are more, more advanced because Mm -hmm. now like in my company, we have a kiosk for everything. We have a robot for everything now. And, you know, even from the patient (laughs) check-in, you know, sometimes our patients get virtual check-in assistance, Mm -hmm. Um, virtual front office people, the hearing test, we had to adjust to finding technology that would allow us to remote into servicing patients for hearing aid needs because our elderly patients, prior to this, I'm talking about before the vaccine came out, they weren't coming into the office and we didn't want them to come into the office because we didn't want to put their lives at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with our speech therapy. Before it was Oh, you know, um, this is a new thing for us to do video to video conference 
in or do like telemedicine for speech therapy. Now we have no choice. In fact, we moved one of our speech therapists, we appointed her as a telemedicine speech therapist, and she doesn't even drive to work anymore. She commutes, she, does, she doesn't uh, commute at all. She works from home all day and provides uh, the telehealth services, which she really appreciates because she's <laughs> a single mother. And she, yeah, and she doesn't have to take that long one-hour drive. But we, we really had to make the adjustment, and I will tell you, Last year was supposed to be my company's down year. It was supposed to be the year where we didn't make that much money, where we had to lay people off. Well, it ended up being one of our top years. Not one of, the top years. It ended up wow. being our best year thus wow. so far. And um, I believe it's because, again, you know, a testament to resilience. We had to say, look, we had to come there. I'll never forget when they shut down the schools. We do a lot of work with schools. I, we serve about 100 schools in Louisiana, and we're working with some schools in Atlanta and the YMCA in Atlanta, so we're expanding. Wow. But I remember when we shut down the schools, I, I told my husband, who serves as our director of business development, I told him, I said, man, I, I don't know, Jamal, what we're going to do. What, what the hell are we going to do? That's, mm-hmm. that's our bread and butter. Everyone else, everyone else in audiology businesses were sh- like laying people off left and right. I'm, I'm a part of these different chats and I saw, Oh, this business got shut down. This business closed. Sorry to close our doors. We had to lay our whole team off, um, you know, looking for jobs, trying to sell the practices. And I was just kind of wondering and waiting, you know, damn, when is it going to be my turn to post that? That was, that was a wow. scary feeling. Wow. That was a scary feeling. And wow. um, he looked at me and he said, we got to go tell us. We got to do it. And we did. And um, we didn't end up laying off our staff. We did reduce our number of days for like about two months um, per, because uh, here we had the, the mandate where we, we had to um, close for a little while. And we, we converted to Telend. And, I mean, when we opened back up, things picked up really fast. And I think right now what everyone's seeing is a huge upsurge in business right now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, another thing in New Orleans, uh, and I'm sure in other cities as well, um, we saw that, um, as you guys know, that we suffered with Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. Mm-hmm. It pretty much destroyed the entire city. <laughs> if you haven't been in New Orleans, mm. uh, if you well, I'll say this: if you went, if you came to New Orleans before 2004, and you haven't been back since, if you would have come here in 2006, you would have been like, "What the hell happened to this city? This is not a city. What is going on?" I mean, it was terrible. But wow. what happened? Oh yeah, it was bad. But what happened as a result of that is that um, you know, opportunity kind of started knocking. So. All of these properties, all of this real estate became for sale. Mm. And uh, my husband and I, we started investing in real estate um, because we knew that's the key to wealth. Well, uh, mm-hmm. Real estate is truly the key to wealth. Assets, ownership is the key to wealth. Mm-hmm. So we started investing just a little bit, you know, rubbed our pennies together <laughs> and invested in what we had to do. And now we're now... Um, Properties that we bought for like maybe a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars are now going for six hundred thousand dollars in this city. Mm. 
And it's it's crazy, but that was also an upsurge that happened after COVID. This year, we're you know we're we're working on properties now, trying to get that the um trying to recover uh, some of the losses and be able to to get our investment back so we can invest more. So again, another story of resilience, you know, being able to see opportunities in the midst of tragedies. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's very important. I always love when I hear people share stories of how they're thriving through the pandemic, because I know that it has been devastating. We have lost people. People have been sick. People have lost jobs. There's been a lot of grief, but there also has been so much abundance and, you know, positive things that have come from the pandemic. So I love when you women are sharing your stories of how you were able to thrive during this time. And I mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I did an IG live with a girlfriend of mine who is a real estate investor in Pennsylvania. And we were talking about how we have been thriving through the pandemic and people were angry. We had people come on to the live and in the comments and they were like, F you and like just angry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it for a minute, it made me very quiet about the blessings that I was getting during the pandemic. And then continuing to have conversations with women like yourself and hear your stories of how you've been able to pivot and adjust and to provide solutions during this time so that you can thrive and you can also make a greater impact has been such a blessing to me. And I'm sure the other women that are listening, because it now makes me feel more empowered to continue to share the fact that I've been blessed throughout this pandemic. Like, I mean, uh, funny enough, I came to New Orleans for the very first time. I think it was 2018 or 19. So I don't know what it looked like <laughs> before, <laughs> but it, it was it was a beautiful um, experience when I did come. And then that year, I had a lot of health challenges. So I was basically having like my, um, I'm going to say my quarantine for about a year because I, I was home. I was ill. I was in and out of the hospital. And then when I was ready to jump back into business, at the beginning of the pandemic, like it was the February that I'd gone away on a trip to Cuba with friends as my reset button. And I came back ready to hit the ground running. And the following week, Toronto, Canada had gone into lockdown and, you know, the the pandemic started to spread. So I thought, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? So for maybe for about a couple of weeks, I was a little unsure But then the first three months of the pandemic, I made more money than I had made the previous year. And then last year was like, I made more money like last year than I did, you know, like during the pandemic than the previous year. And then now the first three months of 2021, I've made more money than I did all of 2020. So it's like being able to pivot and adjust and to provide solutions to what people need in this time. And, you know, I I don't want to say the toxic positivity of of acting like the negative doesn't exist because it's there, Mm -hmm. but it's like, how can we work through this? How can we get back up from these things? How can we serve during this time, you know, make a greater impact rather than look at all of the devastation and and live in that, that space. So thank you for sharing your story of resilience. Absolutely. Listen, I, I've lived through so much. I've literally lived through personal tragedies, um, a natural disaster, Hurricane mm-hmm. Katrina in 2005, mm-hmm. and now a pandemic. You know, tragedies will happen regardless 
of what's happening in your life. You will always come encounter some type of adversity or tragedy. Mm-hmm. But the most successful people are those who see opportunity. You mm-hmm. have to have an eye for opportunity. That's the real definition of resilience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. So I guess speaking of opportunity and, you know, seeing, seeing things like what keeps you up at night? What, like when you think about everything that is happening in the world and where things are now, what keeps you up at night? I think the question that keeps me up all night um, or keeps me up at night is always not, it's not what have I done? It's, what haven't I done? It's it's not it's not did I do it? It's did I do enough? Mm-hmm. Um, those are always the questions that that I'm constantly pondering. Like when I do have those moments of solitude and I'm I'm talking to God about what I want my legacy to be. Um, and and sometimes it sometimes it. It has to do with individual people or my patients um, where I'm like, I, I remember I had, um, I recently posted on, on Instagram a, a, a scenario that happened. Um, I had a patient that reported to me that she was having sex with her husband. And um, every time she was, she, she would get hearing loss every time she had an orgasm. Oh, wow. And you know, the first thought that I had was, oh, no, that's not true. <laughs> I was like, who does she think she's fooling? Like, she, uh-uh, no, no, ma'am, it ain't that good. No, sister, it ain't that good. But so that was an example of something, you know, uh, for me, I'm always wondering, you know, like, okay, I don't want to dismiss what my patient is saying at this moment. How can I, let me make sure, let mm-hmm. me make sure that this isn't something that is real that really happens. And I ended up spending time researching it and come to find out many women complain about experiencing hearing loss, temporary hearing loss, after having an orgasm. And for me, the sad part of it for me was the fact that she felt like she didn't want to have sex with him anymore. And that, that was really sad because, you know, here's a married woman. This every, Hey, we know whether you're married or you're single, it's important, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> it's important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the kind of age we live in. And I know for me being married, it's important. So, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to just brush it off because I, I would never want to. I'm all about love and I, I would never want that to be the reason why she wasn't being intimate with her husband. And mm-hmm. after researching it, I mean, you know, uh, that was something that kept me up. And when I found out it was true, I had to go back to her and I had to report it to her. And, and we had to come up with some lo- some solutions to why that happened. So that's that's uh, one example of me always wondering, did I do enough? Um, mm. and, and what else is out there? And business-wise, I'm always thinking that too. And in my personal life, I'm always thinking that as well. Like, um, you know, what other opportunities? Growing up the way I did, I wasn't exposed to a lot of things. I had to learn these things by trial and error, Mm -hmm. um, reading, 
reading about different business laws, tax laws, uh, pretty much what are people, wealthy people doing to, to stay wealthy. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm grateful for my husband because he's the one that really encouraged me to continue reading and learning these things. But it was never told to me. I didn't grow up where my mom had property that she gave me or a business that she gave me. Um, the only thing that she gave me was the belt. And she said, <laughs> with this belt, <laughs> I'm going to make sure I wake your ass up and you're going to school. <laughs> and it worked. It. <laughs> it worked for me and my sister. It worked. It worked, you know. But but now I'm in a position where I can I can repay her. And I'm, I'm giving her more things, you know, and helping her to live this life that we did not know about because we were not in the socioeconomic class mm-hmm. to have access to even know what these opportunities were. So I'm always wondering, what if, what else can I do? What else is out there? That's what keeps me up at night. Wow. You know, I, I, there's a common thread, I'm going to say, with all the women that I have interviewed on the show. and. Obviously, you guys have a passion to serve. You have a passion to make sure that other people don't experience what you have. And it's like this natural nature to want to nurture. And in that, I feel like sometimes we become so consumed with helping others that I always like to ask, like, what does your self-care routine look like? Like, how do you take care of Lena? You know, if you had given me a test today, that would be the that would be the part that I would fail. <laughs> mm. Mm. That would be the section that I would fail. I have to be very transparent and vulnerable right now and tell you guys that like the truth is I don't do enough to take care of myself. Mm. Um I I like to I love I I love exercising. I played basketball for years when I was younger. That was my thing. That was my passion. And I played all the way up until college. And um, so so being an athlete, being active, that part comes really natural to me. I used to, when I'm not busy, I'm going to say this. I love diet and I love exercise. I love trying natural remedies. And I am that person that will recommend natural re- remedies to anyone. But the consistency really falls apart when I start to get into heavy into my work, heavy into caring for other people. And I kind of put myself to the side. So I I have to say, I need to do a better job of it. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple things that I wish that I would do consistently, I wish I would do yoga and meditation more often. Mm -hmm. I wish that I would um, spend every single morning outside for at least 30 minutes. I don't, but I wish I would. I wish that I would spend more time with my friends and I I wish that I would uh, get more massages for my body. Those are things that I know I need. My husband told me, I thought it was interesting, uh, multi-million dollar LeBron James. He said LeBron James spends millions of dollars on his body. Mm. Of course. Of course he would. That mm-hmm. makes so that's, much sense. That th- he that's would his moneymaker. That. <laughs> that's his moneymaker. Mm-hmm. That's what makes his money. Now, if that's the truth for him, why aren't we spending or investing enough money and time into our body? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't need multi-millions of dollars to do it. That's right. 
you know. So, um, so I'm really I'm not doing a great job of it, but I need to I need to do better, and and that's that's one thing that I would like to work on more for 2021, but also continuing on, honestly, forever. Because what I've realized after 30, everything goes downhill. <laughs> so I'm going down the hill. <laughs> I'm I'm rolling down the hill right about now. <laughs> I I've never had had it to where my feet hurt to the point where I'm like tiptoeing. I'm like, oh no. See, I'm, I'm laughing because hill, so. I mean, so I, I turned forty one this year and a lot of people don't even believe me unless they see my kids because I my, my eldest is twenty three. But people will look at my Instagram and then assume that I'm a lot younger and then when I say my age or mm-hmm. I say the age of my kids are like, What? But Honestly, because I made because I made self care a priority the last year and a half mm-hmm. to almost two years, that has been like I make sure that my mornings, my morning routine is dedicated to filling my cup and I separate my yes. self care routine into mind, body, and soul. So doing the reading, doing the affirmations, doing the prayer, doing the meditation, doing, yes. you know, eating healthy, outdoor walks. So because I've made that a part of my routine. I actually feel like right now at 41, this is probably the best shape that I've ever been in, in my life. And I think that's beautiful. And I, I appreciate you so much for sharing that because, um, I mean, that's that's huge. You know, we think that, uh, that's shoot, that's a story in itself. We think that we have <laughs> to chase the dream. We mm-hmm. have to chase the dream. Got to get up early in the morning, five o'clock. Got to chase the dream. Got to chase the dream. No, mm-hmm. you don't have to chase the dream. You have to keep yourself healthy so yeah. you're there for that opportunity. That opportunity will come knocking at your door. You have to be prepared. How am I going to go to the Oprah Winfrey show when she calls on me and my feet are hurting? I can't even walk <laughs> out right. the car. Girl, That's I can't right. even get to the airport. <laughs> I better roll That's me right. out this house and, and send me on my way in an Uber. <laughs> So I think I think you're so right. I think I think we all need to do that. And I look forward to being able to report to you a few months. And I'm going to be in your DMs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Stay on me. Stay on me. Uh, Your accountability partner. I'm being your DMs. Lena, what did you do for yourself today? (laughs) Get on me, McKinney. Get on me. (laughs) I got you. I got you. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell the people where they could stay connected with you online. Oh, sure. So please, please um, follow me on Instagram at um, Dr. J, the hearing doc uh, in my, in the, um, everybody says link in bio. So if you check out my bio, you'll have links to everything else, including high-level speech and hearing center, including my most recent article in Forbes, including uh, Facebook links and Twitter and all of that other stuff. So definitely follow me on Instagram. And I also always drop gems on there as well for everyone for free. Awesome. (laughs) I will definitely have your links in the detailed section below your episode so they can just click and connect with you directly. They don't have to search too far. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So the final segment of the show, it's really like a rapid fire. I ask about five quick questions and you share whether it be, you know, one word or one sentence, whatever comes to mind. All right, let's do it. All right. 
Okay. So name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. <laughs> Tax-free wealth. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, if you can have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? It would say, get your hearing tested annually because people are still not doing enough of it. Mm. Name one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made. And that could be of money, time, energy. My husband. Mm. Time and energy. (laughs) (laughs) I get it. (laughs) All right. Uh, What have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be distractions, family, invitations. Social media. What new belief, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? Everything is negotiable. Mm. Knowing that. Love it. Lena, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us and share your story with us. I truly, truly appreciate you. And I will definitely be in your DMs as your accountability partner. (laughs) Yes, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks so much for having me, McKinney. It's been a true pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. And to all of you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can join the community of legacy leavers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you could think of one person that would receive value from hearing Lena's story, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Lena at Dr. J, the hearing doc, and you can tag myself at the real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling. <laughs>